Welcome to the Thomistic Institute podcast. Our mission is to promote the Catholic intellectual tradition in the university, the church, and the wider public square. The lectures on this podcast are organized by university students at Thomistic Institute chapters around the world. To learn more and to attend these events, visit us at ThomisticInstitute.org. We'll begin with a reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke. This is Luke chapter 6, verses 31 through 36, and a prayer. Do to others as you would have them do to you. For if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. If you lend money to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners and get back the same amount. But rather, love your enemies and do good to them and lend expecting nothing back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High. For he himself is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Let us pray. God of everlasting mercy, who in the very recurrence of the Paschal Feast rekindled the faith of the people you have made your own, increase, we pray, the grace you have bestowed, that all may grasp and rightly understand in what font they have been washed, by whose spirit they have been reborn, by whose blood they have been redeemed. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Our Lady most merciful, Amen. in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This talk is on deification and divine mercy. This evening we begin the vigil of Divine Mercy Sunday. And in this weekend dedicated to sharing in the divine life, uh, I thought it would be very appropriate for us to have a talk that precisely looks at deification in terms of divine mercy. So stepping back, uh, our first talk by Dr. Silvano was about an overview from a Thomistic theology of deification. And then my first talk was on ways to go wrong in thinking about deification. And then that third talk uh, of the conference by Dr. Spisano, her second talk, was on deification in the sacraments. So now what we're going to look at is precisely divine mercy, having applied what we have considered earlier to look at that particular focus of divine mercy especially in celebration of Divine Mercy Sunday, the eighth day of, the, of Easter, the octave day. And in this, I want us to go back to some of the objections that we considered in terms of how deification goes wrong. All right, so in terms of things about ridiculousness, sometimes people say, being made God, well, God is omnipotent. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's the creator. How in the world, or how outside of the world, can you really be like God? He's all those things, right? And St. Cyril of Alexandria, uh, who uh, took up this objection, said, that's ridiculous. You cannot be omnipotent. You can't be the creator. But can you be like God? Yes. How? Well, one thing that we've heard in different ways is how God is love, and by charity, uh, we then can be transformed to be loving, to be godlike. 
I want us now to look at that particular um, aspect of the life of charity in terms of mercy. Okay, so what we're going to do is to have an overview of what divine mercy means in terms of God's quality, characteristic of being the most merciful one, or in terms of this collect, God of everlasting mercy. And then to be able to see how God wants us to receive that mercy, and then not only to receive the mercy, but be transformed by the mercy. So that way we may really be, be merciful to others. Because someone may uh, say to you, oh, come on. Do you, really want, do you really think that you can be like God the Father? Jesus says, yes. Again, Luke chapter 6, be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Okay, we're not making this up. We are in theology contemplating something of who God is. God is love. How the greatest characteristic of God to us as his creatures is mercy. What that means and how we, by that grace of of his love to us can be transformed and we can have the greatest kind of, of virtuous action to our neighbors through mercy. Okay, now, <clears throat> backing up, because we are in the Thomistic Institute, I want us to see how St. Thomas uses the liturgical prayers that he prayed to get to this notion of mercy. And uh, to, to be helped by this, we have Father Innocent Smith, a friar of the Eastern Province St. Joseph, who wrote an article for the Jesuit journal Theological Studies titled Liturgical Prayer and the Theology of Mercy in Thomas Aquinas and Pope Francis. And what Father Innocent Smith has done is he has reviewed how St. Thomas uses various collects, so various prayers of the liturgy, and that two of these collects very much emphasize mercy and St. Thomas quotes them repeatedly, and actually Pope Francis picks this up. So let's go back to St. Thomas. In the Dominican liturgy of the 13th century, uh, St. Thomas prayed this collect, and this collect is also in the Roman liturgy, and we still basically have this collect today. Okay, so this one uh, is, O God, who show your omnipotence most of all in sparing and being merciful abundantly bestow your grace upon us, that running toward your promises, you may make us to be sharers of heavenly goods, right? who show your omnipotence most of all in sparing and being merciful. Now, isn't that interesting? Because are you omnipotent? Are you all-powerful? Okay. No, we're, we're, we're weak creatures. But by God's deification, he then allows you to experience his omnipotence through his mercy. And then you then are called to be sharers of heavenly goods. And what are some of these heavenly goods? Mercy. Do you see how that has a sort of deification within the intrinsic nature of the prayer? All right. So the, the Roman liturgy still prays that. And then another prayer that was in terms of the Dominican liturgy that St. Thomas sometimes prayed at night, O God, to whom it is proper to be merciful, always and to spare, receive our prayer, and by the compassion of your love, may you loose those whom the chain of sins binds. So this is where, in terms of 
it is proper to be merciful. So proper in that sense of what is proper, that most especially it belongs to God to be merciful. For God to act is for God to be merciful. And for anyone to act mercifully, well, the, the most proper sense of that is actually found in God's action. Right? So God, when he acts vis-a-vis creation, he acts in mercy. You just don't find acts of God without mercy. So much so that St. Thomas teaches that in terms of those in hell, God is merciful to them because he doesn't punish them as much as they deserve. All right, think about that. God's mercy reaches down to the farthest depths of hell because he does not punish those in hell as much as they deserve. He shows mercy even to those in the depths of hell. Right? So uh, his mercy endures forever. And it's precisely in the forgiveness of sins that we receive. Uh, so in terms of thinking about the sacramental life, Dr. Spisano especially went back in the sacraments to the first sacrament, baptism. And then to think about how all of Christian life is to live out what we receive at baptism. And then in terms of, you can think about the whole sacramental life, you know, baptism, confirmation, Eucharist. You think about the power of the sacrament of reconciliation, of confession. So to be able to receive God's mercy in the sacrament of reconciliation. All the sacraments in different ways are special divine bestowings of mercy. Okay, Think about the sacrament of holy marriage. Matrimony is, is in a sense, a kind of mercy from God. Everything God does to creation in one way or another is an act of mercy. Right? So you think, oh, okay. So, so Father Innocent Smith has this beautiful article that I recommend that you can, you can read how Thomas uses these collects, these liturgical prayers in his Theology of Mercy, and how Pope Francis picks this up. So uh, Father Mark Pedrez in our homily this morning uh, mentioned Pope Francis's Evangelii Gaudium. This is Evangelii Gaudium number 37. Pope Francis teaches, St. Thomas Aquinas taught that the church's moral teaching has its own hierarchy in the virtues and in the acts which proceed from them. What counts above all else is faith working through love, Galatians 5. Works of love directed to one's neighbor are the most perfect external manifestation of the interior grace of the Spirit. The foundation of the new law is in the grace of the Holy Spirit, who is manifested in the faith which works through love. Thomas thus explains that, as far as external works are concerned, mercy is the greatest of all the virtues. In itself, mercy is the greatest of the virtues since all the others revolve around it, and more than this, it makes up for their deficiencies. This is particularly to the superior virtue, and as such, it is proper to God to have mercy, through which his omnipotence is manifested to the greatest degree. Okay, so do you see it is proper to God to have mercy? Okay. So St. Thomas was formed by the liturgy, and then how he is teaching the, uh, what he himself experiences in the liturgy, and the Catholic Church continues to teach precisely that. Now, so then going back to the virtuous life, love is tops. Okay, the greatest of these is love. And so uh, Father Jonah reminded us at the beginning of this intellectual retreat, the Shema, so that we are called to love the Lord our God with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, everything that we have, everything that we are, and then how in terms of studying that we can love God with our mind, that we can love God with the wholeness of our mind, okay? So this is where in terms of 
having all of this to God, that charity, to receive the love of God. Romans 5, 5. The love of God has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit given to us. Okay? So that love, then, is infused to, uh, into us, poured into us. And that way, our, uh, we, know, we can know that we are loved by God and that God gives us that desire, that love, to love him above all things and that we can love our neighbor for his sake. Charity, that's tops. In terms of thinking about our neighbor, that, uh, that you don't really have the theological virtue of charity without love of neighbor, okay? And that love of neighbor is always in God for the sake of God, because how much does God get of your heart? Everything. How much does God give your mind? Everything. How much does God... So this is where, in terms of charity, is one. Now, when we look at our neighbor, we then can see that it is especially uh, through that aspect of charity known as mercy, where, where that greatest love of neighbor is made manifest. All right. So now let's back up in terms of God, because somebody can think, well, what does misery, uh, what, what, does, what does mercy mean? Mercy in Latin is misericordia, misericordia. And it literally means taking a misery into the heart, core, okay? So taking someone else's misery and putting it in your own heart. Now, that means it's a sort of sorrow. And someone could object, oh, but God doesn't have the passions. God, literally speaking, isn't sorrowing. God is infinitely happy. St. Thomas considers this in question 21 of the Prima Pars. And he says, mercy is especially to be attributed to God as seen as effect, but not as an affection of passion. In proof of which, it must be considered that a person is said to be merciful as being, so to speak, sorrowful at heart, being affected with sorrow at the misery of another as though it were his own. Hence, it follows that he endeavors to dispel the misery of this other as if it were his, and this is the effect of mercy. To sorrow, therefore, over the misery of others belongs not to God. Why? God does not, properly speaking, sorrow. But it does most properly belong to him to dispel that mercy, whatever be the defect we call by that name. All right, so this is where, in terms of God, who God doesn't have a bad day. Okay? God um, doesn't have uh, passions. God is... Uh, the active existence itself, uh, you know, his essence is his existence. His existence is his essence. He is beyond all categories of this world. All right? So he wants to dispel our miseries. He has that effect in our life. He wants us to be like him, and he's happy. He's really, really happy. Okay? And then to be able to think about that, because, well, actually... We're kind of miserable. We are miserable creatures. And we need mercy. The reason why uh, at Mass we say, Lord, have mercy, is because we're miserable. If you don't know your weakness, if you don't know your misery, why in the world would you say, Lord, have mercy? Right? If you're saying, I'm just fine, thanks, you're not going to ask for mercy. Okay? But at the beginning of Mass, we don't say to God, I'm just fine. We don't say to one another, I'm just fine. 
we ask actually for one another's prayers and begging for God's mercy. All right, so in terms of the community of knowing our own weakness and being in the presence of God, wanting mercy from God and actually mercy from one another in terms of praying for one another. Uh, all right, so this is where in terms of just thinking about God, he especially wants us to experience his mercy. St. Catherine of Siena has a collection of prayers independent of her dialogue and her uh, 380 plus letters. And so prayer nine says, it includes this. O eternal Godhead, how fitting mercy is to you. It suits you so well that your servants arouse your mercy against the judgment the world deserves because of its sins. Your mercy created us. Your mercy created us. And the same mercy redeemed us from eternal death. In mercy, you grant us consolation to coax us to love, for the creature's heart is attracted by love. The same mercy gives and permits sufferings and hardships that we may learn to know ourselves and acquire the little virtue of true humility, and even to give yourself a reason to reward those who fight bravely, suffering with true patience. In mercy, you preserve the scars in your son's body so that he might, with these scars, beg for mercy for us before your majesty. In mercy, you have seen fit today to show me, poor as I am, how we can in no way pass judgment on other people's intentions. Indeed, by sending people along an endless variety of paths, you give me an example for myself, and for this I thank you. Okay, so let's, let's think about St. Catherine's prayer. Did you see how your mercy created us? Okay, though in one sense, the worst of all miseries is a sort of nothingness. And God, by creating out of nothing, shows the power of his mercy. He made creation out of nothing. Let there be light, and there was light. God needed nothing. He used nothing. Besides, he spoke and it came to be. Okay? We see things that are. God sees things and they come to be. Okay? God is the one who is all active. We, in reality, are passive to what has been done. God speaks and it comes to be. That is that first mercy creation. And then God does a, something even more wonderful than creation, and that's new creation. And that is in terms of in the, in the fullness of time, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. That in the fullness of time, God sent his son, and that Jesus Christ, born of the Virgin Mary for our salvation, is our Savior. He came to heal, to preach, to suffer, to die, to rise for us. And this is where, in terms of Divine Mercy Sunday, that we realize something of the depths of the Divine Mercy, because Jesus, risen from the dead, shows us his glorified wounds. Yeah, that he wants us to experience his peace. And then to be able to see how wonderful it is that in the new creation, we are remade, we are divinized deified, that we have gone from, uh, a, a, from simply a nature or a nature fallen 
to being a nature now actualized in divine friendship, to have the indwelling of the Trinity, to be prepared for the greatness of God's glory in heaven. So you just think about how how this is so wonderful, and St. Catherine is fascinated by the wounds of the risen Lord. Okay, so in mercy you preserve the scars in your son's body so that he might with these scars beg for mercy for us before your majesty. Jesus Christ is our great high priest. He lives forever to make intercession for us. That's what the letter to the Hebrews says. Um, People can think about how Jesus, at the right hand of the Father, shows his Father his sacred, glorified wounds because because he came to save us. Satan is the word that means the accuser. And you think about how Satan does not want to have mercy on you. In fact, Satan cannot have any mercy. Jesus, as the great high priest, is the intercessor, always asking his father for mercy. Mercy. And then to be able to see, oh, you know, you know since, we, since we have such a great high priest, we can in confidence approach the throne of grace you know, for timely help. So, so then to be able to see this, and then Catherine was frankly tempted to judge people. Are you tempted to judge people? Catherine, this is one of her great emphases in terms of the spiritual life. No matter what bad thing you see someone do, that you don't pass judgment. You ask for God's mercy, and you look inside yourself. Catherine thought that the world's problems were due to her sinfulness. It's only the saint who really knows what sin is. Right? So this is where, in terms of the saint, saints know much more about sin than sinners do. The saint, the saint knows something of what it means to have God's holiness. And really, the saint detests, hates sin, anything that is against God. Whereas the sinner, you know, frankly, sinners are, can be really comfortable in their sinfulness. The saint is really bothered by sinfulness. You see the difference? And that's a matter of mercy. Because the saint knows that holiness is precisely God's mercy. His mercy endures forever. What do you seek? We want God's mercy. Now, St. Thomas, in his uh, analysis and his theology of the virtues, uh, talks about how in the virtue of charity, there are certain interior effects of charity at work in the soul. So joy, peace, and mercy are interior effects of uh, of charity at work within you. And then in terms of exterior effects, he talks about beneficence, almsgiving, and fraternal correction. So beneficence is doing good, generally. Almsgiving is doing good, especially to those who in some way are miserable, some way with special needs and, and, and you know, concerns, things that they, that, that problems. And then fraternal correction is a particular type of almsgiving where you, out of charity, uh, say, pull someone aside and say, okay, this, is, this, this, this isn't right. And then to be able to help the person get back on the way. It's out of, it's out of love. 
right? So sometimes what people do when they speak of mercy, though, is not look simply at the interior effect of the soul, but precisely the exterior acts or works of mercy. Um, I like to think of mercy as a combination of two qualities, power and goodness. Power and goodness. So this is where, in terms of, if you, ha- if you are powerful and you're not good, you will not have mercy on people. You will not show mercy to people. If you are powerful and you're not good, you will not show mercy to people. If you are good and not powerful, you can't show mercy to people. If you do merciful deeds, you have combined within yourself power and goodness. And you think, oh, God is the all-powerful one. God is all good. Yes. And you then are acting like God, in fact, because God is acting through you. This is where, in terms of the life of grace, Dr. Spisano talked to us about how, actually, uh, our grace is a share in the grace of Christ's own soul. Christ is head of the church. He has what's called capital grace, the grace of the head of the church. And we are branches on him who is the vine. So this is where, in terms of, well, Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. Without me, you can do nothing. That Jesus then is at work in us. He's alive in us. And he wants to show his effect of mercy in people's lives around us. Okay? So this is where, in terms of just going back to think about this. Oh, in the sacramental life, I receive God's mercy. And it's not just about having my own sins forgiven, but precisely I have my sins forgiven by sacramental grace, and that grace makes me good, makes me powerful, makes me like God, makes me a sharer in the divine nature. And I am called more and more to do as God does because God is at work in me. All right, so this is just astounding. Now, then to think about the effects of this and go back, well, what does God give? Okay, so what does God give? Well, he's the giver of all good things. Uh, uh, so uh, where do you think your food comes from? Yeah. He's the one who gives food to creation. He's the one who gives us drink. He's the one who, in all the basic things, you know, he is holding it. So, so Dr. Spazano talked to us about just going back to thinking first about nature and how God is most transcendent and most imminent. And then, um, and then there are certain natures that are rational nature, that are kapax dei, capable of God. But God, is, that there's, there's simply, you cannot find any good thing that doesn't have God in it. Okay, God's presence, essence, power, upholding all things. And so this is where, in terms of, if you go back to Matthew 25, 31, 46, for I was hungry and you gave me food, I was thirsty and you gave me drink. Well, have you ever thought about how Jesus, who is the recipient of that, for as you did it to one of the least ones, you did it to me, that he's also the one who's doing it through you. That because... Because this is where, in terms of the life of grace, again, it's Christ's life at work in us. And he wants us to know 
that he is with us. I am with you always, even until the end of the age. He wants us more and more to be his body in the world. All right? So this is where God is the one who does every good work of mercy. Uh, if you think about the spiritual works of mercy, okay, so, so the corporal works of mercy, to feed the hungry, to give drink to the thirsty, to clothe the naked, to visit the imprisoned, to welcome the stranger, to visit the sick, and to bury the dead. So the tradition added to bury the dead on the list of Matthew 25, 31 to 46. Um, okay, so, uh, so to be able to, to see that. And then the spiritual works of mercy, to admonish the sinner, to instruct the ignorant, to counsel the doubtful, to comfort the sorrowful, to bear wrongs patiently, to forgive all injuries, and to pray for the living and the dead. Jesus Christ, who is God-made man, shows us this way. Okay? He is the one who admonishes the sinner, instructs the ignorant, counsels the doubtful, comforts the sorrowful, bears wrongs patiently, forgives all injuries. And remember, he's the, our great high priest who lives forever to make intercession for us. He prays for the living and the dead. All right. So when we do these spiritual works of mercy, it's actually Christ at work in us. Because the reason why we can merit is because of Christ's grace already at work in us. Now, in terms of divine mercy, and you think, oh, the deification of divine mercy, I want us to focus on one, one of these spiritual works of mercy, and that is to forgive all injuries. I do this because this is what Jesus does when he teaches the Lord's Prayer. So go back to Matthew chapter 6. After Matthew chapter 6's instruction about teaching the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, okay, but deliver us from the evil one. If you forgive others their transgressions, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your transgressions. So when we pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. We are not saying the chief of all the petitions of the Lord's Prayer. Okay, because what's the chief one? Well, hallowed be thy name. Okay, so in terms of glorifying God. But that's the petition that our Lord Jesus repeated. That's the one that he especially shows how our, our life is tied. If we want to have good relationship with God, we then need to have good relationship with one another precisely through the mercy of forgiveness. All right. So uh, before the questions and answers, the rest of this talk is going to be focused on forgiving all injuries. It's a spiritual work of mercy. and this may be difficult for some of you, but I want, to think, I want you to think of someone who has hurt you. Okay, I want you to think of someone who has hurt you. I want you to think and to pray in terms of the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. There's a reality there. It can be very difficult for people. Right? Because there's a pain. If someone has hurt you, that means that you're hurt. It could have been last week, and it's particularly on your mind. It could have been many, many years ago. Right? We are sinned against in many ways. And especially serious hurt is when someone close to us hurts us. All right? If I'm on the street and somebody ridicules me, uh, some stranger ridicules me. Actually, I could feel kind of good because I think, oh, 
<laughs> what does it matter? I mean, really. Um, except I, I think I maybe if the person saw me as a, a priest or a religious, and uh, you know, I, could, I, I, I might feel good on that. But frankly, if someone really close to me hurts me, I don't feel good. I don't. Um, now you have options when people hurt you. Uh, two options are to do nothing. Just nothing. You just kind of shut down. Or to take sinful vengeance. I'll get back. I'll get back on her. I'll show him. All right, those are options. But one option that can always assist, in fact, is a, the deifying option, is forgiveness. Baltimore Catechism, question 817. If it then be a Christian virtue to forgive all injuries, why do Christians establish courts and prisons to punish wrongdoers? Answer. Christians establish courts and prisons to punish wrongdoers because the preservation of lawful authority, good order in society, the protection of others, and sometimes even the good of the guilty one himself require that crimes be justly punished. As God himself punishes crime, and as lawful authority comes from him, such authority has the right to punish though individuals should forgive the injuries done to themselves personally, right? That this is always expected. Even if someone were to be handed over to the courts for something, within our heart, we are to forgive, to forgive. Now, there are many objections to this. Uh, think about what objections arise in your heart or objections that you've heard others have said. One objection is, doesn't forgiveness say that the sin was nothing? All right, have you ever heard this where, um, where, uh, where the attitude is, oh, it was nothing? Okay, so, or how dare you forgive somebody because, because that wasn't nothing. That was something. That was terrible. The thing about it is, the only reason why we forgive someone is because it was bad. And to emphasize that you've forgiven the person, you then emphasize that what was done to you was wrong. It was bad. It was evil. It should not have happened. If I do something good to you, you don't say, oh, I forgive you, Father Andrew. Okay? If I do something bad to you, you could, by God's grace and deification, um, tell God that you forgive me. Do you see the difference? All right, so this is where if I forgive someone, I actually am emphasizing that that which was done to me was bad. And there are so many people in this world who don't feel vindicated because of the injustice. And a part of it is, doesn't the world see that that was wrong? And actually, if you forgive, you are in the, in the presence of God, um, that God is then at work in you to affirm, you're right, it was wrong. It should not have happened. All right. Another one is, I want to forgive, but I can't. Have you ever heard this? Have you ever thought this? I want to forgive, but I can't. It's so hard. Right now, we are complex creatures. Forgiveness is a matter of the will. Forgiveness is a matter of the will. So if you say, I want to forgive, guess what you've just done? 
you've forgiven. Why? Forgiveness is a matter of the will. Okay, now, now I don't mean to be too simplistic, but it really is true. If you want to forgive, you've just forgiven. Now, you might say, oh, well, the saying is forgive and forget. I want to forget. Who's, do you find that in the Bible? Forgive and forget? I mean, uh, there are sometimes, sometimes people have these sayings that they rely on. It's like, where? Okay. Um, I cannot guarantee you that you will forget things during this life on earth. I can't. Deification doesn't necessarily um, put your feelings all right in order. Uh, deification doesn't necessarily clear up all memories during this life on earth. Heaven, when we, uh, you know, by God's grace, if we get to the glory of the deformity of heaven, there will be something different there. But during this life on earth, um, we can forgive someone and actually still remember. I like to think of this in terms of Matthew 18. Then Peter approaching asked him, Lord, if my brother sins against me, how often must I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus answered, I say to you, not seven times, but 77 times. That, you know, if my brother forgives, if, if my brother sins against me. So who is Peter's brother? Andrew. Right? So if Andrew, uh, maybe Andrew hurt Peter. And Peter remembers it again and again and again and again. No matter how many times Peter remembers how Andrew hurt him, he can still forgive. All right? So this is where in terms of the memory, I for, oh, I wish I wouldn't remember it. Okay. But you can't control all of your memories. I can't control all of my memories. But we do have something about the will. And by God's grace, our will can be healed and elevated to act in a godlike way. And how does God act vis-a-vis -vis creation? He has mercy. So then to be able to forgive. Right now, what if the person who hurt me cannot or will not accept my forgiveness? Have you ever thought, you know, I will forgive her if she just apologizes? Or, you know, if he only would get down on his hands and knees and say, I am so sorry, I am so sorry, I am so sorry, please forgive me. I, if you're waiting for that, you're going to be waiting a long time. All right, generally, that doesn't happen. You know, I wish, uh, uh, I, I do have a, a vivid memory uh, of someone who actually did that. And it, so it's like, wow, that was nice. Uh, <laughs> that, that was an easy thing to forgive, okay? Uh, so so I, I was like, wow, thank you. All right. Usually, though, um, that doesn't happen. And if you tie your forgiveness to the one who hurt you, do you realize what you're doing? The one who hurt you still has control over you. If you say, I will forgive her if she does, you just have put your life under her authority again. Why would you do that? She hurt you. Where should we find our authority? God! God! And again, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. All right, so this does not mean that we um, wait to have somebody ask us for forgiveness. 
In fact, people die. And it's impossible for them to come back from the dead and say, oh, I was wrong. People are stubborn. People are forgetful. You know, I'm sure I've hurt many people and not even known it. Okay? I mean, this is where in terms of uh, my ignorance of my own sinfulness. And you just think, oh, okay. If somebody doesn't even know his own sinfulness, how is he going to apologize? You, by the divine mercy of deification, can forgive in a prayer to God. And you, have, you do not need to tell the person. Now, sometimes you can, okay? But that's not necessary. It, it depends on circumstances. But in prayer, to be able to pray, actually, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And you're thinking of the one who hurt you. All right, I like to call this from victimization to divinization. From victimization to divinization. Who but God alone can forgive sins? Mark chapter 2. Who but God alone can forgive sins? When we forgive all injuries, we are being raised up to share in something of the divine nature's forgiveness, mercy. Now, in the sacrament of reconciliation, priests have the authority that was given from the risen Lord to the apostles, receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you forgive are forgiven them. Okay? Priests in the sacrament of reconciliation can forgive sins by this divine authority within the church. And that's wonderful. Um, one of the things that penitents need to remember, and priests who are confessors, is precisely the spiritual work of mercy of forgiving all injuries. Because sometimes people can get caught up in sinfulness because they themselves have been hurt by other sinners. And sometimes if you don't, if you don't exercise your God-given authority to forgive as, say, uh, a baptized Christian, if you don't do that, well, you're going to find your comfort in some other way that may very well be sinful. And it's like, oh, so I become like the one who hurt me. Yes. Right? So this is where, in terms of being empowered by the grace of reconciliation, actually to have this, uh, so we talk about the baptismal priesthood or the priesthood of all the faithful, to be able to see how Christ, the great high priest, is at work in Christian life to forgive others. The spiritual work of mercy divinizes those who give forgiveness. One, it is an act that only God can do. Only God can forgive. Two, it gives expression to your share of God's power and goodness. Remember, power and goodness together? You have the power, you have the goodness by God's grace to forgive those who have hurt you. It frees you from being a passive victim. No longer are you a passive victim. You are exercising a priestly authority in the, um, you say if you're a lay Christian, the, the lay priesthood of forgiving all injury. Uh, uh, it expresses the perfection of love. St. Thomas teaches, Since man loves his neighbor out of charity for God's sake, the more he loves God, the more does he put enmities aside and show love towards his neighbor. Thus, if we loved a certain man very much, we would love his children, though they were unfriendly towards us. Because why are we loving those who, who, hate, who hate us, who hurt us? Why are we doing this? Why are we having mercy on them? Because they're, they're children of God. Remember Luke chapter 6? Rather, love your enemies and, good do, and do good to them, and lend expecting nothing back. 
Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, for he himself is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. All right, so let's think about examples of this, okay? And then we'll have questions and answers. Examples. The greatest example is our Lord Jesus Christ, our great high priest, who forgave from the cross. Luke chapter 23, then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, when he did that, he exercised his priestly authority over all who hurt him. And that includes us. The Roman Catechism says this, We must regard as guilty all those who continue to relapse into their sins. Since our sins made the Lord Christ suffer the torment of the cross, those who plunge themselves into disorders and crimes crucify the Son of God anew in their hearts, for he is in them, and hold him up to contempt. And it can be seen that our crime in this case is greater in us than in the Jews. St. Stephen, the first martyr, uh, Acts chapter 7, then he fell to his knees and cried out in a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. Okay, the first martyr, he has the power of the Lord at work. He is good. He's powerful. He's expressing uh, his, his, um, the Christian forgiveness. The Christian forgiveness. One modern example is St. Josephine Bakhita, who lived in the 19th and 20th centuries. She was the abused Sudanese slave who bore 144 scars for the rest of her life. And Benedict XVI's space Salvi lifts her up in terms of the, the power of hope. Uh, I highly recommend that you uh, learn from St. Josephine Bakhita. She used to tell her story to people who often said about her, poor thing. Her response was this, I'm not a poor thing because I belong to the master and I'm in his house. People who don't know our Lord, they're the ones who are poor. With the children in Schio, Italy, she had never come up against anything quite like this. She had, they had asked her directly and straightforwardly, and she had replied in the same way. St. Josephine Bakhita says, If I were to meet those who kidnapped me, or even those who tortured me, I would kneel down and kiss their hands, because if those things had not happened, I would not have become a Christian and would not be a sister today. St. Josephine Bakhita is reigning with God in heaven and shows us the divine mercy of deification at work during this life on earth. You could say she had every reason to every reason not to forgive certain people. She had one reason to forgive Jesus. Jesus was her savior. And her life then was good. She knew that the Lord himself had become a slave, that the Lord himself had been scourged at the pillar for her salvation. She had that reason, and she knew her life was good. Now, uh, before we have the questions and answers, I, I want uh, us to listen to St. Catherine's prayer. This prayer is from her dialogue. Now I beg you, be merciful to the world and to Holy Church. I'm asking you to grant what you are making me ask. Alas, for my wretched, sorrowful soul, the cause of all evil. Do not delay any longer in granting your mercy to the world. Bow down and fulfill the longing of your servants. Alas, 
It is you who make them cry out. So listen to their voices. Your truth said that we should call and we would be answered, that we should knock and the door would be open for us, that we should ask and it would be given to us. O Eternal Father, your servants are calling to you for mercy. Answer them then. I know well that mercy is proper to you, so you cannot resist giving it to whoever asks you for it. Your servants are knocking at the door of your truth. They are knocking because in your truth, your only begotten Son, they have come to know your unspeakable love for humankind. Therefore, your burning charity neither can nor should hold back from opening to those who knock with perseverance. Amen. All right, so questions, answers, thoughts? Yes. So um, you referred to, you talked about how for, in forgiveness, we are recognizing the evil of the act that was done against us. But what about cases in which um, what the person did was not necessarily evil? They may have even done the right thing, but that caused, you know, that caused you great pain, uh-huh. is that still a place for forgiveness? Or? So, so the question is, uh, so what if you receive great pain, but what the person did to you in causing you the great pain actually didn't do anything wrong? It can, it can happen, right, that you have great pain and the person didn't do anything wrong. Well, it, let's think about particular examples for this. Sometimes the pro- appropriate response would be, thank you. All right, so this, let's go back. Remember how uh, St. Thomas wants us to think about medicine and how a doctor has to deal with illnesses, so a wise teacher needs to deal with errors? Well, sometimes a doctor may do something that hurts in order to heal. Uh, this is where, in terms of there are certain punishments or certain things that are done that really are, that hurt but that the one who does them actually knows that this is important for us. Okay, so this is where, in terms of um, uh, uh, should parents at times uh, punish their children? Should parents at times punish their children in some way? Well, if their children are doing things that are bad, uh, an important way for them to be corrected is to be told, that's bad. You can't do this. And to have some sort of punishment. Will that hurt the child? Well, actually, it's not going to be pleasant. And generally, yes, children are going to be hurt by it. But the parents have a greater good in mind. So, uh, so we read about how uh, that, the, that the son uh, that the father loves, he corrects. Okay? Remember fraternal correction? is one of the effects of charity. It's a particular type of mercy. Or when you look at the the spiritual works of mercy, so uh, to admonish the sinner. Okay? If you tell me, Father Andrew, uh, you just, and then give me the list of things that I've done wrong that have been hurtful uh, to you and to many others, my, my first reaction and feelings is not going to be hooray. Okay? All right? So it's, it's really not pleasant to, um, to uh, be fraternally corrected, and it's not pleasant uh, for most people to correct. Okay? Some people may enjoy it more than others. But, uh, <laughs> but notice how uh, it's actually the right thing to do. 
So there are certain things, and this, is, this can be difficult because we have a sort of permissive society where the chief goal is not to, he, not to hurt one another's feelings. And actually, you need to say the truth at times in a particular way, and you know that someone's going to be hurt by it. Yeah, uh, okay, but this is the reason why. So this is where in terms of, it's, a, it's actually, a, a, it's a very good question to be able to see, then see, okay, this person hurt me. Okay, how did the person hurt me? Oh, she told me the truth because she wants me to get away from something that's destructive in my life and to, have a, um, to work toward happiness. Oh, okay. So should I forgive her? Uh, maybe I should thank her. Okay. Yes? Um, you kind of touched on this a little bit already, but just to directly ask. Justice and mercy are often posed as if they're in opposition. Yep. How do we understand within God how they are not in opposition? So the question is, justice and mercy are often posed as being in opposition. How do we understand this in God? Actually, St. Thomas Aquinas asked that very question in the Prima Pars, and he says how the, the acts of God have both justice and mercy, and mercy is not something that goes against justice, it exceeds justice. So rather than thinking of justice and mercy as being opposites, he has a twist on it. And so this is where, in terms of, if I owe you, if we just say uh, money matters, if I owe you $10, okay, if I owe you $10, and I give you uh, $15, okay? If I give you $100, well, uh, not only do I, in terms of justice, justice is that firm disposition to give what is due, but then I see actually you need a little money yourself, uh, and I give you more, so I've just done justice, and I've also shown you mercy. So God um, uh, knows what we need, he is the most just one, and he also is most merciful. Now, this is where, <clears throat> in terms of our Lord, this is the time of mercy. Sometimes people get this confused in terms of, well, I'll repent after death, or if, okay. No, this is the time of mercy. This is the day of salvation. And that, that Jesus came, uh, born of the Virgin Mary, for this life of mercy. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. And so this is where at the end of time, um, he will shine forth both justice and mercy, okay, because uh, of who he is. And, um, and then to be able to see that, uh, again, uh, for St. Thomas, even, uh, you know, even the devil receives God's mercy. And you think, oh, wow. Right? So for St. Thomas, it, rather than being in opposition to one another, mercy is, is something that, that supersedes or goes beyond justice. And that's who God is. God is love. And uh, he owes us nothing, actually. He owes us absolutely nothing. But he's true to himself. And he is love. Yes? Um, exactly on what you were saying there. Then, then why does Christ have to... Um, uh, I think if the exact words in here would beg for, for mercy to the Father. Yes. Yeah. All right. So the question is, well, given this, why is it that Jesus begs his Father for mercy? Okay. 
Well, this is where, in terms of thinking about the radicality of the divine love, that um, God could have saved us by the snap of his proverbial fingers. Instead, what he wants to do is to save us inside out. Okay? So, he wants, so in terms of the incarnation, uh, God became man so that we might become godlike. And in terms of Jesus' humanity, that this is the plan of salvation that um, God wanted us to be saved by one who is one of us. And so this is where, <coughs> in terms of the divine plan of salvation, that um, God wants us to grow up. He wants us to be healed, to be elevated, precisely through one, through his own son, who is truly the son of man. And so that's where, in terms of, of Jesus, his uniqueness, he is the, he is the, only, the only begotten son. Um, he wants us to know, you know, why did he suffer on the cross? St. Thomas says, in order for us to know, the first reason uh, is to show us the immeasurability of God's love. All right? So that's where, in terms of, of thinking about how uh, that Jesus, Jesus shows us how God wants us to ask him. This prayer from St. Catherine, Matthew 7, 7, Ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall Find, knock, and the door will be open to you. Jesus, as the great high priest in heaven, is showing us how to do this and that we can have confidence in this. All right, so the, sometimes we think of begging as, oh, I don't know if, if, this, if, if this will happen or kind of grow This type of begging is, um, well, you think about how a child asks for a good thing from, from his parents. And uh, it's like, oh, that, that's the kind of begging, right? And, and how the whole church then is expressing uh, this confidence, you know, that we say, our Father. Jesus wants us, you know, it, to do this. And this is why, you know, the seven petitions of the Lord's Prayer, each of them is a kind of begging. You know, because, and, and that Jesus teaches us this, and he, sh- he shows this, uh, the way, because then... On the last day, there will be a transformation. And there will no, there will no longer be kinds of begging. All right? So that's where it'll just be a matter of thanks and praise. Amen, hallelujah. Okay, there, 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 there'll be no more acts of mercy in terms of St. Augustine. Imagine, he speaks to Martha. Martha, you'll have no one um, to feed, no one to drink, uh, no stranger to welcome. What will you be, Martha, where are you? You're at the feet of Jesus like your sister. Okay. Amen, hallelujah. Okay, so that's where in terms of begging is precisely for our need now. I remember one priest very helpfully um, corrected something of, of my thinking when he talked about, uh, he loved St. Therese, and St. Therese said, I will spend my heaven doing good on earth. That's, that's a type of mercy. He said, that's a part-time job. because. There'll be a new heavens and a new earth. There won't be any misery on earth. Okay? And then to imagine that, oh, so there's, there's actually no more begging. Only thanks and praise. Seeing God face to face. Amen, it's true. Hallelujah, praise God. Okay, last question. So, 
what would you say to someone? So, for example, we can't. It would be wrong to forgive on the condition that someone else acknowledges their fault. Oh, uh, what would you say to someone who says, in that way, doesn't God only forgive a mortal sinner if he acknowledges his mortal sin and confesses it? So if he does it, then he will suffer the consequences of that. Okay, so the question is, all right, when we forgive one another, there's no need actually to tell someone about the forgiveness at times. It may be, it may be impossible. Well, does God, does God need uh, the sinner to admit his sinfulness? And does God then condition his act of mercy on a sinner? Well, this goes back to he first loved us. There's always a priority of grace. Uh, Dr. Spisano talked about how God is always the first one to act. And so the, the sinner who recognizes his sinfulness to ask for God's mercy was prompted by God. Nobody outdoes God in being the first to love. Okay, so St. John, first letter of John, in this is love, that he, he first loved us, um, it, it, that he first loved us, he first loved us. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and given his son as an expiation for our sin. And so you think, oh, okay, so God, God is the one at work in the sinner to be able to ask for God's mercy. That's right. Okay, so God has these different kinds of graces that are helping and moving, and that then uh, that prepares the way for the for the sanctifying grace, the grace that makes one pleasing. God's always first. And, and then how God, who is um, infinite and outside of time, that he knows every hair of the head, every thought of the heart, um, and, and that he then, uh, he has a plan for salvation. And we, we, we entrust all this over to him. So how about now we pray a glory be and I give you a blessing. So. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As May the peace and blessing of Almighty God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit come on you and may it be forever. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this lecture on the Thomistic Institute podcast. The generosity of people like you makes this podcast possible. If you enjoy these talks, please consider showing your support at www.tomisticinstitute.org slash donate. Your donation of even a dollar helps us reach more college students and many others with the powerful truths of the faith, and it ensures that we can keep publishing top-notch lectures on this podcast. Thanks a lot.